Dan, 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 Dan. Welcome back to another episode of the Strongman Winter Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas Camby. This is episode 44 with a returning guest of Dan Hughes. And Dan Hughes is coming off a big podium at World Strongest Man, taking second place, taking the silver, and he's hungry for more. Dan, come back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. How's Dan feeling? How's the body feeling? How's the, the brain feeling? How's the nose feeling? Everything. <laughs> the nose is the largest organ on my uh, head. So um, it's feeling pretty great. Uh, but overall, I feel pretty good uh, as far as post-comp. Probably the first competition I've done in, uh, in a while that I didn't feel like absolute death physically afterwards. Uh, my lower back flared up a little but I just kind of went, I took a vacation the week after just relaxed, went home. Uh, my family lives in central Florida. So after the competition, I just uh, drove down there, um, just completely relaxed, didn't touch any weights, which was great. Um, uh, mentally it was kind of like up and down. Um, there's some uh, psychological studies uh, that second and fourth place are the the two worst placings you can get. Uh, I think it was done with Olympic athletes, um, and I felt that. I mean, obviously, it was exciting being the first, my first OSG um, placing second. Um, pretty good, pretty proud of that. Obviously, going into shows, every show you you want yourself to win, um, but you know I was beat fair and square, so no issues with that. Um, but it's still kind of, still kind of stings. People keep telling me I should be happy with it, but I think. Well, uh, it's all in our nature. We always want, we always want a little more. We always want to see different areas where you can improve, but uh, you know, being grateful for a second. um, And you've, of course you put out a great, great show. And I think you gave yourself more reasons to continue in the sport. So I think that's always important, but let's talk, let's talk about the whole contest. So leading up to it, how you felt during the show, of course, the results after who you met, who you hung out with. Mm-hmm. Give it, give us the the OSG rundown. Um, so leading up to it, um, as I mentioned on the the pre OSG show with Frank, Mike, Justin, and yourself, um, prep wasn't ideal situations. Uh, I had to do a lot of travel for work. Um, it's the reason I pulled out of ASM because the majority of my travel was in uh, August and September, uh, but. I don't think I let it affect me too much physically. Terry and I worked together quite well, communicated a lot when we needed to move stuff around, adjust certain things um, based on schedule. Um, I was pretty confident on most of the events minus Yoke uh, going into the show, just because Yoke was, uh, uh, it seemed really heavy. It shouldn't have been really heavy. And I still, to this day, I think about it a lot. I don't know why in training 900 pound yoke was so heavy for me because yoke used to be such a, even when I first started like up in Alaska, me and Justin would run 700, 800 pound yokes, uh, obviously not fly with them, but like we weren't scared of it. Um, and we could handle it. But, and then four years later, I don't know. Maybe it was a mental thing. I just had a lot of issues in training and actually the most I ever did in training was 900 for like 15 feet. And that was my last heavy session going into it. So the now, car was, was the car, was the car walk make, making a difference? Like with the, the potential wheels, maybe picking up higher. So the wheels didn't hit the ground. But I mean, I actually, I did pretty well. And I think I was fifth. I think I was the slowest person to finish the whole 50 feet in the finals. Um, somebody can fact check that, but I believe I got 19.5, which for me in any other contest is pretty slow for 50 feet. Um, but if you see, if you watch the video, I pick it up and I was like shocked and I'm sure it was the adrenaline and stuff, but I picked it up and I was pretty shocked, like how easily it moved. And the whole time before it, I kept saying myself like slow, like short steps, like don't try and stride it out. It's not a 700 pound yoke. Like you're not going to be able to sprint with it. But I picked it up and the first thing I thought was, this is light, I can sprint with it. So I tried to, and I started to take too long a stride. So I dropped it and then repicked it and finished it. Um, but so the, the, like, the, key, the key to the car, the car yoke is taking off the parking brake. You can't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Don't take the parking brake off. 
Well, Romark mic'd me up and a bunch of people made made fun of me because the whole time before we're going, when I'm inside the car, I'm just like, hold together. Come on, hold together. Like, you got this. And people are like, do you always talk to yourself like that? And I said, I wasn't talking to myself. I was talking to my lower back because it has a mind of its own on when it wants to work and when it doesn't. So I was just like, that because that's usually where where I fail on yoke as I start to feel wonky in my back. Um, but that car, I mean, yeah, it's like, it's not necessarily balanced because it's the whole shell of a car, but it is really stable. The handles are close to you. You can brace a lot better than you can on like a, a big wide yoke, like the, uh, like the one I had at the gym. It's the, the Bartos yoke. It's really nice yoke, but it's pretty wide. Very wide. It's very difficult. Yeah. But, uh, I interrupted you. You were, you were, uh, you were going through the kind of the, the events to kind of like the lead up. Oh yeah. So on, on Viking, I had a very good prep for Viking. I was confident in that, but also like I mentioned on the last episode um, that we did was a lot of people were going to miss, um, I guess, uh, miss gauge how heavy that 325 in hand was going to feel. And sure enough, a lot of people came off and they're like, wow, that was a lot heavier than I thought it was going to be. Whereas I went in and you've, I talked, you and I have talked about this uh, privately before, like the best thing you can do is just get as strong as possible in that, that movement pattern. So that's what I did. That's what Terry and I did. And then going into the comp, I said to myself, you know, be 100% prepared for this to feel like 400 pounds on your chest. Um, when you get under it, um, I think a lot of people did the exact opposite and they're like, Oh, I crushed comp weight. Like I did 15 reps in comp weight or whatever. So they got under it. And as soon as they blew the whistle they were like oh shit um and i <laughs> i'm not guessing when i say that because that's exactly what a lot of people said when they came off i did the exact opposite i was like just expect this is going to be as the heaviest thing you've ever pressed in your life get under it and then i got enough reps to get third place and i came off and i was very happy with that because each rep for me was just like sweet just do one more just do one more just do one more um and it worked for me um then I, of course i made fun of hein Cause he did 12 and I was like, you stupid idiot. You did double my reps and uh, you still only got two points on me. But so you end up getting uh, with third on the press and then you got like second on the deadlift, right? I or- tied for, I think it was a two way tie for second on the deadlift. There was a four way tie for first. Um, yeah. And then I got nine. And again, a lot of people were just as shocked as I was when I did super well on the axle deadlift, just like I did at clash. I think you're turning um, into a static monster. Yeah, maybe. Um, the wild thing is, is somebody asked me how much I like what my one rep max is. And I haven't trained for a one rep max deadlift since uh, 2020 nationals, which is the first nationals I did. Um, and I pulled like 745 or whatever uh, as the last event on a last man standing. And I think at least without a suit, that's the most I've I've pulled and uh but I did the math in a rep calculator. Apparently my deadlift max is 825 now, so I'm just gonna cling on to that. If you can if you can do 640 times nine, that's what it comes out to. But 745, it was at the end of the show at Nationals and of yeah. course the big long lines of like 70 competitors oh, yeah. going in. So that's of course 745 at of course when you're most tired. It's funny because bringing that up, I told this story recently and I wish I could remember the name of the person who told me this, but there's like 10 people left in that line. And I knew no one knew who I was aside from Justin. And that was fine uh, because it was my first nationals. Um, And probably like only the second or third competition I did in the lower 48 because I started competing in Alaska. Um, And somebody looked at me and said, you're still here. (laughs) And I so badly wish I could remember who it was because damn straight, I'm still here and I'm still getting better. It was probably Frank. No, it wasn't because Frank, Frank, I met Frank the first time there, but he was friendly to me because I was friends with Justin. Um, And he made fun of me for being an officer in the army because he was enlisted. But no, it wasn't Frank. I would have remembered that. Um, cause I remember the people in that line were like Mike, Justin and Frank. Those are the only people I remember off the top of my head. Yeah. Lorenzo would have been probably in that mix. Yeah. He, I, I think so. Like, obviously now if I were to look at the list, I would know who any of those guys were, but at the time I wasn't thinking about who I was lifting with or 
anything like that. Like I'm sure Richie was in the line still and stuff like that. But yeah, I'll never forget that. Somebody just looked me dead in the eyes and like, wow, you're still here. And I was like, I'm about to pull more. <clears throat> so you're you're saying you're you so you've been a static you were a static monster at OSG and then you're yeah. again you're still running through the the events. Yeah. Uh then what was after that? Uh Sam what was after deadlift? The shoulder the shouldering the day after, right? Uh well that was the fourth event. So it was deadlift and then farmers. That's what it was. Or, uh yeah. Uh farmers. I wore the wrong shoes. I wore the shoes I've been training this whole time. Uh, it was really slippery. And I know I'm not the only person who shared that, um, who shared that sentiment. I expected, I thought my feet were just slippery in the warm up area because there's chalk everywhere. Um, I wiped them off before, but that floor was just so smooth. So I probably lost my leg completely slipped out from under me on the turn. Probably lost a second or two on that. But uh, I was pretty excited when they switched to just the, heavy handles each way. Um, I know not a lot of people were because my farmer's training had been going really well. Uh, I never dropped any of the weights comp above weight or above comp weight. Um, so I knew that would make me more competitive for that because carrying the heavier weight for a longer distance was probably going to, you know, spread it out a little bit more as far as the points go but go, um, going to the farmers did have you, did you ever see the trick where you lay out the towel and you either put water or put out yeah well that's what they did they i don't know if they did that before i know they had it on day two but again like i didn't think because i've worn their shoes before they're just the metcons but then the next day if you watch the videos the next day i wore my uh my nobles the whole time because they weren't much better because the floor, excuse me, the floor was still pretty slippery, but they were just a little bit grippier than the uh, than the farmers. But I wore the nobles for uh, the yoke, um, and I was mad. I should have brought my uh, my uh, hiking boots, my freaking uh, the ones I wore at Clash and at Nationals, because uh, those definitely would have been way grippier. But I didn't even pack them because I hadn't been training in them at all for this comp prep. Um, and then dumbbell, dumbbell is probably the event that I had the most regrets about. Um, I think I kind of freaked out going into it, uh, because if I was to guess dumbbell prep was probably the best event prep, um, that I made the most progress in. I was able to crush the whole, the whole event and training at overcomp weight for, uh, I think my fastest time was like 21 seconds. Like I blew through it. So I was super stoked about that. I thought I was going to take first or second on that. And then I just got really twitchy um, and started making a bunch of big mistakes in it. Like I almost failed the 180. I may have actually failed it the first time and did it the second time. But so that was pretty demoralizing for me. Um, and then going into the stones, uh, I did do a lot more stone prep this comp as opposed to for clash where stones is the sole reason I lost because I was tied for first going into stones at clash. So I tried not to make that mistake again. Uh, I still didn't win the event, but did a lot better. And uh, I think I'm finally starting to get over the mental hurdle uh, with my lower back on stones and kind of just uh, going back to how I used to be because before I hurt my back, which for those of you who don't know was on stones, uh, in 2021 beginning of 2021 uh ever since then i've had this weird mental block where just like looking at stones makes my back hurt is it the um, triple extension that bothers you uh yeah well actually how i it, yeah how i blew that disc out was in the triple triple extension um but it's wild because if you watch the way i do my sandbag to shoulder or a lot of other events i do pretty like a pretty big triple extension and it doesn't bother me at all either mentally or physically but it's just like looking at stones and like standing over it bending down to pick it up it's like my body immediately goes into a protective mode where it's like you're gonna hurt yourself um but i'm starting to get over that um mostly just by forcing myself to practice it and practicing it with good form obviously um and not trying to force reps in training just to like get a PR training or anything like that. But, you know, 
if I can't do it with perfect form and training, I shouldn't do it. Um, save the, save the grinding and stuff like that for the competitions is kind of how, how I focus because that's how I heard it four weeks before clash. I was trying to do a huge PR on a stone lift and just blew my back. Ouch. Yeah. But we did have the opportunity that at that time to go up to 500 pounds on stone lift. So of course everybody was training pretty heavy, including my, including myself. Uh, did you, you visit the, of course, the friendly chiropractors or the masseuses during the competition, like um, Ray, the chiropractor, of course, um, strongman doc. Becky no, Wilson. I didn't. I didn't during during the comp. Uh, we have uh, at work now. We have a massage therapist, and then of course, I see uh, I see uh, Rebecca Skilgen um, of Arena Chiropractic, chiropractic uh, fairly regularly. I actually, this is actually a good thing. I didn't have to see her as much this prep as I did for clash prep. Um, mostly because a lot of the warm ups and stuff that she's given me and some technique critiques have helped me both with my knees and my back a lot during training. Um, so I, I started going back to seeing her about once a month, whereas for clash prep, I saw her anywhere from two to three times a month. Um, and then I see a massage therapist uh, almost once a week just to help you know, keep everything where it needs to be um, loose enough and helps with recovery as well. Um, but no, I didn't actually, I didn't feel the need to see anybody during the competition, which I think is a testament to both Rebecca and uh, my massage therapist, Maggie. So they, so they did, so they did a great job. So how did you feel standing on the podium? Of course, your second big podium in your um, career. It was awesome. Um, it was very exciting. I don't know. I'll be honest. You can call me a Debbie Downer. I hated being second. I hated it so much. Like Sean, Sean DeMarinas, he sent me a picture of his second place OSG trophy. And he was just like, this is my least favorite trophy too. Um, and so I have it on my trophy case right here. And it's honestly more of a reminder to do better and less of a point of pride, <laughs> which may sound uh, silly to a lot of people, but that's my truth. <laughs> now, in, now, in general, if you had to kind of compare it to your other performances, like, of course, you had a great nationals performance last year. You did mm-hmm. great even at the clashes and even the Rainier you won last year. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you grade it towards the other performances? Did you execute the best you could across the seven contests, con- uh, across the seven events, or were, or have you executed better in other shows? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I still think my best performance was overall was at clash uh this year clash 22 um and even though i placed third there i would say that because that was finally like the first competition where i realized how much of my potential i could unlock by actually believing in myself which may be cheesy to people listening it may not but like i I struggle with a lot of mental health stuff and I hate myself, um, which I don't say that'd be funny, um, but it's true. And like, that's, that's affected my training a lot, especially training alone. Like I have to without, without uh, anyone in the gym. Um, there's been some hurdles there, but for, and I actually still does, they don't even know what the trigger was. It was just like, I zeroed the squat at the first event and uh, at clash. And then all of a sudden it was like something clicked and I was like, I'm going to win. And there was no reason for me to believe that, but I actually convinced myself that I was going to do that. And um, I was tied for first going into it. And the reason I was okay with that. And I told Isaac, cause they lined us up by placing and me and him were next to each other. I looked at him and I shook his hand and I was like, congrats, man, you won. And he was like, what do you mean? And I said, I suck at stones. I'm not going to do this. <laughs> um, and so, but I was like really happy with myself because it was both a mental win and, you know, third place there's still isn't bad. Uh, against that pool of athletes but i know i know next time you you won't you won't say that isaac will be like best of luck out there yeah (laughs) well happy gilmore after i load the last stone and look at him someone learned how to play (laughs) (laughs) um anything else to kind of mention on on osg um of course again kind of a momentous occasion um it was a freaking marathon uh for those who were watching afar uh supposed to be a three-day comp they crushed it into two days we did three events and then four events which in itself isn't too crazy but because they were just trying to do the best they could 
with the time that we had in Russia events, there wasn't a really solid schedule. So there's a lot of just sitting there and kind of like gauging who, you know, what weight class are we on? And so that alone for the people who were able to push through that and not let it affect their training is a pretty good testament to their, uh, their mental fortitude. Um, because it's like, I mean, anyone who's done nationals or any show like that, it sucks because there's so many people to, to wait to go and all that, all the different classes. But you usually have a pretty good idea of when you're going to go. There is, I think the longest between two events was like four hours. Um, and again, that's, that's not a knock on, I think they, the promoters land and everybody else involved did the best they could with what they had. Um, it was just unfortunate. They couldn't control the hurricane and have it go somewhere else. Uh, but for that to be your first OSG was uh, made at first. I was like, wow, I don't want to do this again. This is miserable, but I mean, they're not all supposed to be like that and that's no one's fault, but that was pretty much it. That was uh, my last thought. And then just my second place trophy, just staring at my face all the time. But Dan, do you, do you know about the other uh, second place winners at world's strongest man, 105 kilo and what they went? I mean, I know Sean. So, but... so Sean, yeah, in 2016, um, of course, Sean took second. He took second behind, uh, Marcin Senwicki uh, of Poland, and actually, it's me and Rob Kearney's fault. He took second. If me, <laughs> if me and Rob Kearney loaded the last stone, because Marcin didn't load all the stones, so if we loaded all the last stones, both of us did it. Uh, Sean would have got the point difference to uh, win the event, but but because of that, um, Sean wow. taken second by. Um, a point and a half or so. So it was friends like you who needs friends, right? Well, yeah, but I don't know we failed him as Team America. So twenty six, twenty sixteen, he already had two America's Strongest Man titles, but he went on to win two more America's Strongest Man titles to make it four. Um, in two thousand five, Darren Sadler took second at World Strongest Man one hundred five kilo. In two in two thousand six, he went on to win it. Myself in two thousand seventeen took second, and then I went on to win a few titles. In 2019, Isaac Mays took second, yep. went on to win Clash. So winning, winning Worlds, winning Clash, winning ASM, you're kind of in pretty good company. And then yep. um, there's a gentleman uh, who took second back when uh, Marius Rosenthal's of Latvia. Um, he's been around. He podium two more times at Worlds. And you know, I think recently he won um, the World's Strongest Man 105 Kilo Masters that was out in Paris. Um, and then there's a guy named Vladimir Reshka of the Ukraine, who was a um, great athlete. He took second again after taking second, uh, but also went on just to always podium at pretty much all the big shows. He always was on the podium, but he was, he was a great athlete. He's, he was a freak and had a really, had also had a really great yoke, but do you know any of those names, any of those names? The, yeah, the it's, not, it's not bad. Uh, I don't, I don't know many of the Europeans uh, to be honest. Uh, and also like, I didn't start competing in the sport until 2017 so uh most of the stuff before that um is lost on me but i mean it's not bad company to be in i'm certainly not not trying to say feel sorry for me for coming in second it's just i'm trying to use it spin it in the motivation uh to you know do the things that the people on that list did after they they came in second but you know who had a lot of second places was half your beyonce and also the journey of vegas exactly he had a lot oh, yeah. of person seconds but speaking of also um second places i don't know if you've seen uh ty cotton recently but he's taken four straight second places between three at asm and one at osg so he's hungry for a title i think he's going to be winning contests especially with those traps that go up to his ears i don't know if you (laughs) watch that log um but I did want to talk about, uh, we had a lot of fan submissions in terms of topics and also specific questions for Dan. Um, but in general, in terms of Dan's opinion, so change the subject. So uh, one individual is saying the sport looks more like CrossFit. So he's probably referring to maybe lighter weights, more moving. But is this a good thing for the, the sport of strongman? And where will the static monsters fit in? Um, so I've heard that the the first part of that the starting to look like crossfit um and i see where that statement is coming from but also if you look at some of the weights that we're doing they are at least at the middleweight level they're similar and in some cases heavier than 
where World Strongest Man was doing the same types of events uh, 10, 15 years ago. Um, and that's the heavyweight World Strongest Man that I'm talking about. Um, but also for the static monsters, like if, if, if you're only if your best events are the one rep maxes for different events, then I would say you're in the wrong sport because while it is strongest man or strong man, I mean, it's no secret that it's to test the most well-rounded athlete. Um, Cause if it wasn't, then it wouldn't be the overall points. It would be, you know, who wins the most events. Um, but I mean, we've seen it all the time at any weight class, you see people who will win first place in the deadlift and then they're in the bottom half or, you know, middle third on everything else. So, and no one's going to argue that, oh, but they set a deadlift record. Um, so they deserve to win because that's one out of five or eight or 10 events. Um, and CrossFit's the same way. Like you have someone like Danny Spiegel in CrossFit, who she always does really well on the heavy events, but she's never on the podium or even in the top 10. She's good enough to make it um, to the games, but um, no one complains about her like well we need to be lighter um so i don't think uh in crossfit or in strongman we need to say like the best part about the sport is that there's variation in it um which is similar to crossfit i think there are likenesses but i don't think those likenesses are necessarily a bad thing and i will say that as someone who's not super statically strong at least at the top end um I always beg for yes. one rep maxes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always beg for one rep maxes because, like I said, the last time I trained for a one rep max deadlift was 2020. Um, and it's not even my best event, but I love doing it and it forces me to get stronger in those events. But the reason we aren't seeing a lot of those is because it's less fun to watch. Um, especially like you see them a lot at smaller shows that maybe don't have any live coverage. Um, I know one reason they didn't do it at clash last year is because of, uh, you know, the ESPN live stuff. And it's really hard to do that fast and make it effective and fun for the athletes while also making it attractive for viewers to watch. And if anyone wants to monetize the sport or continue to, you know, monetize the sport, uh, greater and greater, you have to make it appeal appealing to the viewers and, most people who know Eddie Hall's um, 500, was it 501 or 500 kilo deadlift when he did it? I would venture that probably 99.9% of the world did not watch that live. They watched a video of it and they're like, see, that's awesome. But if you would have sat them in the stadium and been like, okay, now watch this two hour show where all these people do one rep and then they go back and they warm up like they'd be like wow this is really boring and i think that's why we don't see as much top end one rep max stuff but if somebody wants to put it in a show i'll do it, it just, of course it's it. the right way I, I, you know osg had it one year in back in 2017 where they started off with for instance some of the weight classes depending on how many uh how many competitors were they, they had they started with three lanes narrowed down to two lanes and then they had a final lane and i think that was kind of exciting that's a little bit kind of what the rogue did at the crossfit where they had uh so you're talking about danny spiegel earlier they started with the four the four lanes and they went down to yeah. two and then went down to one when they had that center stage so i think that's a uh, that could be a good way in terms of um uh, mm-hmm. kind of going through it so maybe something to adopt but then you have to it requires a lot of equipment but if someone wants to put all that effort i think that would be kind of the way to go and the last uh, thing i'll say to that yeah, uh yeah. If that's your complaint about the sport, then just continue to work on your capacity for your competitions. It's not going to take away. It's not, it's not like anyone, we're not asking anybody to run five miles and then do a max deadlift or deadlift for reps. It's still all pretty much the same events. And as someone who's not great at top end strength, I would love for the opportunity to improve mine which is why the people who are really good at top end strength and not much else should also be excited for the opportunity to improve their others, their capacity within those same movements. I think it's kind of a cop out when people say like, Oh, well, I would have won if this one at max. It's like, yeah. And I would have won if it was a five mile run, <laughs> but that's not what the event was. So just train for the event that is given to you and stop complaining and just do better. I like it. 
Um, let's, let, of course, um, in another, another topic from the fans, um, is there is there a right way to use social media when it comes to strongman? What, what is, does Dan have any opinions on this? I can, I, if you want to think, I can give you a, a few of my tidbits. Uh, uh, yeah, you can go first and then I'll, I'll go. Sure. Um, I always think it should be an extension of yourself. I think it never should be a personality. You, sh- you shouldn't be a different person on social media. And then you show up in contests in person at the gym being a, maybe a quiet individual or something like that, especially if you're loud on social media, it should be an extension where people can find you and learn more about you. Um, but also, I always said just the day and age, because there, there's this point of self-promotion, <clears throat> your name out there for sponsors. So usually, um, again, sponsors are not going to going to be there enabled for you to get out of your current job and do strongman full-time, but it is going to help kind of negate some of the costs, but potentially kind of break even. So it was always important. So being able to promote yourself so you can keep doing, keep giving yourself reasons to be in the sport, I think is also um, super important. Um, But one thing I, I said to myself, if you know me, you know, I'm always on the run up early and home late. So having a three hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me. What is in the cards is AG1. It's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals I need to perform. I first gave AG1 a try because it was, I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop, mixed in water, once a day, and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash provengrit. That's drinkag1.com slash provengrit. Check it out. When it came to kind of social media, I never wanted social media to be a, a limiting factor of why I don't get opportunities. Um, so I think you, you don't want to, there's, I think there's one way to be overboard, but there's an, another way to be efficient enough to put yourself enough out there, put enough information out there so people can learn about you. And again, um, you, you want, you want opportunities so you can keep being in the sport. You don't want to be, of course, kind of limit yourself. So I think it is something that you just have to work at, even if it's not something natural or something that you want to do. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and it's kind of a slippery slope because I definitely don't think social media should be used as a an alternative personality, which I think that that is the case, like you mentioned, for, for some people. Um, but at the same time, there are certain trends and certain things that if you want to, especially if you want to get to the level where you're able to monetize it, there are certain things that may not inherently be a part of your character, but they don't contradict dict your character if that makes sense so like it may not be something that i would do um if i wasn't trying to um promote something or you know share a certain aspect of my training but you know that's a that's a requirement that you have to do to be relevant in the sport especially now and it's not something that you had to do 10 years ago or probably even five years ago to a degree um but i think a lot of people will flow in and out of different personalities, depending on, you know, what's hot um, and what's going to get the most views at the time um, to the point to where it's not actually who they are, but it's a, an alternative version of what they want people to believe. And I would like to think that if you went through my social media, whether it's through my story on any given day or any of my hard posts that, you know, that's me, Um, whether it's, uh, like I occasionally I post, I, uh, I play with a soccer ball in between sets and while I've only posted it like one or two times on actual videos, I do that every single day. 
Um, like I always have a soccer ball in the gym with me. Uh, Dan, it's football. It's not called soccer. That's only a it is. I'm trying to I'm trying to cater to the the audience. I don't know who your audience is. I'm assuming they're Americans. I didn't want them to get confused. Ten percent. It's probably British. That's I think Kevin okay. saw the analytics. For the record, I do I do call that football. Um, oh, Man U plays their first game back since the World Cup tomorrow, uh, which is super exciting. But anyway, um, I don't really condemn people when I see them do that, especially people that I know like personally. And it's like, that's not you. That's you're not being yourself right now because I kind of get it to a degree. But I do think that um, as far as it being an extension of yourself, that's also a slippery slope because some people lose their own personality in social media and it just becomes who they are and they don't know how to act outside of social media. And it may not even be that they're shy. They just literally don't know how to have an articulate thought unless they're typing it on their story. And then when you see them in person and you have try to have the same exact conversation, it, they don't know how to either argue or debate in real time because they can't type it or they can't research stuff and they become so dependent on being able to have all their discuss serious discussions through their phone. And I think, I don't think that's specific to the sport. I think that's my little boomer commentary on social media in general. Just the effect of technology. Yeah. It's uh technology has made us all dumber myself included. I'm not, I'm not precluded from that, but uh, yeah. Social media is wild. And there's a lot of times, multiple times during the week where I just want to throw my phone across the room because I'm like, wow, we are all so dumb. (laughs) Certain people should not have phones. (laughs) Dan, um, do you follow other competitors leading into training when it comes to competitions? Like, for instance, were you looking at other competitors training um, leading into OSG? Uh, Not generally. But to be honest, I don't follow... Like, I mean, I follow them on Instagram. I am not a big scroller. I try to get away from doom scrolling. Um, so, like, if I see it, if I see somebody post something in comp prep, I'll look at it. It's not like I'm scrolling and be like, oh, no, I can't look, don't want to watch this video because I compete against them next week. But I certainly don't and never have really been, like, a look at the athlete list and go through and see how everybody's doing on their training. Um And one reason is because uh, some people are really good. I've learned over the last couple of years, some people are really good at training. They're not good at competing, but I would let their training videos affect my performance going into it because it's like, oh, well, so-and-so did this in training. Like I got to do that. But then you get to the comp and then you smoke them on an event that in training they were crushing me in. Um, And so in order to kind of avoid that whole line of thinking, it's like, it doesn't matter. Like, I wish them the best. I hope their training's going well. Um, but most of the time I don't, I don't observe it, um, at least deliberately. But it, yeah, like I said, I won't unfollow or mute anybody during contest prep. Just so I don't see their stuff on accident. I always like to think about um, if you're watching other competitors in terms of what they do in the competition, how far away they did it from the competition, and then what they actually do in competition. So mm-hmm. I feel it gives you even data set for your own self, even for other 105s, that where you need to be in a certain time. So, for instance, I'm going to pick on my buddy Tyler Young. Um, when we were both uh, prepping for the log uh, record in Waco in 2021, I was – in my prep, I was focusing on uh, vipers and strict presses in the 200s. And on Saturdays, uh, Tyler was going out hitting 400 pounds, like over 10 weeks out, uh, which I thought was, and he did it a couple of times leading into it. So I was thinking like, is that maybe I should, should I do that? Should I go heavier? Uh, but I also was thinking like, all right, I'm gonna keep those data points and see how that turns out in the competition. Of course, he, he kind of learned that he should probably peaked a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, again, I try and use that one example. Uh, but I think just get gathering more data points so you can really figure out, I know, of course you have a coach with Terry and of course you guys yeah. discuss programming, but for programming yourself or all the listeners out there, I think it's always good to get those data points and see how those individuals compete. And then if they're worth following or like Dan was saying, they're great at training, but not great in the competition. So that's yeah. always an interesting point, but has Dan ever messed with your fellow competitors leading you to a show? on social media. I can, um, I, I can tell you my strategy after, but I got a license. I wouldn't say intentionally, 
Um, at, at least, certainly not to anyone that I don't already know very well. I would never, I would never try and do that. Um, actually, if anything, on competition days, I probably talk too much and give too much actual advice, um, <laughs> which is something I thought about before. Um, and I've always done that. Just like if somebody's warming up and I see them doing something, whether they're my competition or not, it's just like, hey, no, like try it like this. And certainly, and not in a way where it's like I'm trying to change their entire technique so they get in their head before the event. Not like that at all, but just be like, hey, try this. Hey, try this. And like Hein, uh, Hein ripped his hand open on the farmers. And uh, I mean, I gave him scissors. I helped him. I showed him how to take care of it because he never had a tear in his hand like that before. So like I helped him take care of his hand instead of being like oh that sucks bud hope you figure it out and then just walking away because like i want him to do his best and i know he wants me to do my best but that's yeah if if anything i just i probably give too much real advice (laughs) people want to keep it close to my chest um but i mean i talk shit to like justin and frank and mike and you know you i've talked shit to you uh but that's like people that I have a, a really close relationship with. And if I'm getting into your head when I'm telling you, I'm going to beat you on a dumbbell medley, then I mean, that's on you. <laughs> uh, what I always like to think about it. Um, I usually led with my press just because of course, pressing is my favorite. So I always would show yeah. them all the pressing videos, but I wouldn't show much of the other videos, but I'll, sometimes I would save all those videos until the last week and I'll post them in the yeah. last week. So when they're done training, so I can't motivate you anymore. So mm-hmm. now you're like, Oh man, you actually had a great training cycle going this. What's <laughs> going to happen now? Or I'll do the other thing where I'll sandbag. I won't post anything. I'll just post yeah. unrelated stuff and make, make you guess if, is he hurt? Is he, was it, what's, what's going on? So I'll, I used to switch it back and forth, but sometimes on, on purpose, sometimes unintentional but usually in the end of the day I, of course I, i'm interested to in see what some what people pick pick up on and what they what they yeah. did I'm not i sure. did do some of that for osg i didn't post i didn't post a lot of my top sets like some of my best sets i didn't exclusively post bad sets necessarily um but i wasn't as usually i was just like hey this is my top set and then i post it and it's like that really is like the best i got but then there were some where they weren't necessarily fails, but they weren't too impressive. And I would post them and being like, hey, this is how deadlifts went today. Um, but even then, it's just, I guess there's some sort of manipulation there, but it's not really malicious. <laughs> I, like, I like it. But I think in the, in the end, I think for the modern day going to 2023 there should be some social media presence presence you don't never want to lose an opportunity or not or never lose the opportunity to lose opportunity because you didn't do more on social media and put yourself out there so mm-hmm. um, you either put yourself out there on social media or compete often that people see you and they put you on, on social media one one the other um so dan let's go through the questions from um from the listeners um from the dane train is dan really 240 he looks like he's 255 to me how much you weighing, Dan? Um, well, I'm actually lighter than 240. So, no, he's not really 240. For all of OSG, both days, the heaviest I got was 233 for the competition day. Um, for clash prep, most of clash prep, I was around 250, which is the heaviest I've ever been for more than like you, a week at a time. 250? Two, 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 two yeah, 250. Oh, wow. um, there are some issues in my prep that led to me not being able to hold weight like I would like to. Um, that not, that's not uh, nothing to do with Terry or Justin's diet. It's all personal stuff. But uh, the heaviest I got during OSG prep was probably like 242. Um, last week, the end of last week when I was training, I was back to 240-ish. Um, I didn't weigh myself this week yet because um, I'm on vacation. So I'm just kind of only training when I feel like training. But no, um, I know Frank also didn't believe that I was under 250. 
which is a great compliment. I appreciate that. Um, but I also know I have a very wide gut. Um, there is a six pack under here, uh, but I also never really wear too much flattering uh, clothes to make it look like I'm uh, the size that I am. <laughs> All right. So I hope, hope that's a good answer for the Dane train. Um, I think pretty uh, good question here. Uh, favorite deadlift accessory to strengthen the lower back for the top of the pole. So strengthening the lower back for the top of the pole. So I, I was almost thinking about this one. Um, maybe potentially just um, RDLs um, in a sense. Um, but what does Dan think? This is a good question. I mean. Very specific. Yeah, it's very specific. Specifically for the lockouts, I would probably just say overloaded elevated deadlifts. But not, not like not like 13, 15 inches, like above 18 inches, something above the knee. Um, I don't know. That's a pretty good answer. Between That's probably what I would go with. Between the uh, two of those, I think you you do a pretty good job. Yeah. Uh, best accessories to improve the log? What is what is work what works for Dan? Ooh. Um for me. On the log specifically, I think a lot of shoulder stability stuff is what helped me. Um, Because one thing unique for me on log was that last like six inches. And just because if your hands aren't just perfect, it is a little bit more unstable than like a barbell. Um, So, um, and that, that carries over to all your presses, but that, and then probably some more deliberate uh, tricep work. Um, but I mean, I haven't done log in over, I just started doing log again and Terry actually didn't even program log, but I just haven't done log in so long that I figured I'd throw it in for my strict pressing. But the biggest thing for me that's improved my log across the board was my front rack position, which both you and Terry, before I started working with Terry, you helped me with a lot. Um, I sent you one of my front rack position for my instructional videos, which you exactly. can find on the YouTube that, library. That's been huge. And that whole, I've taken bits from from that instructional video to help other people who have tried log, like especially with my CrossFitters. When are you telling my secrets to everybody? Uh, they're not really secrets. <laughs> I just put words to what other people are seeing in videos. Um, but yeah, and then Terry's real big on that. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that answers the question. But, but I, also, I like it. Tricep strength is huge. I always like a. Um, like a concentric floor press, I, I, I preach on that in terms mm-hmm. of being a really good log. Um, neutral neutral presses with the dumbbell, maybe after log is always a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also just mastering log, doing strict presses, viper, push presses, split jerks. Really understand, really knowing logs in and out, doing different logs is the best way to improve the log in the long run. Um, this is totally not my question, but what would you do if someone broke your Star Wars Lego? Uh, I would continue to let them outside when they need to be in poop and feed them uh food dog food because the only the only people that have ever broken them are my dogs uh so and luckily they didn't eat any pieces but let's hope i don't have to find out uh what i would do if another person did that i'd be angry i'd probably make you put them back together <laughs> break out the instruction book and all yeah. uh favorite core exercises dan oh favorite core exercises um it's probably an unpopular opinion but any like offset core stability stuff and that is because so like stuff like suitcase carries um uh banded bamboo walks um stuff like that and the reason being is because i did a ton of those and still continue to do them just not as frequently for my back rehab. Um, like Dr. Stuart McGill and Dr. Andrew Locke both have really good videos on all of those. And so, yeah, they're not, they're not going to be the, uh, like get your six pack abs type core, um, workouts, but those helped me a lot, both with moving, moving events and, uh, Static events, just because they help they help build your core three hundred and sixty, and not just your rectus abdominis. 
Um, so that's probably what I would go with. If I could just do suitcase carries for the rest of my life and that was the only core exercise I did, I'd be okay with it. I like it. It makes me want to put, put those back in. I always kind of forget about those. Um, how about within a training cycle, kind of bat- battling mental health and stuff like that? So I know, of course, when you get beat up and all, you can really be down on yourself. But do you have any tricks of the trade to really kind of stay focused when it comes to competition prep or just life in general? And things get, um, you, when things yeah. get you down. Um, so first for training, we'll go training specifically. Um, yeah, I think no one is a stranger to, you know, going through different waves of, you know, loving training and not loving training so much. Um, it's important to remember why you're doing it. And if you're, if you're not doing it for, if you're doing it for any other reason than you enjoy it, then I think you, you've already lost. Um, but that being said, as someone who does enjoy competing and loves training, and even when I wasn't competing, if you know, done physical training for as long as I can remember. Um, that's still not always easy to remember. And I think that's where it becomes important outside of training and competing the, uh, the mental health aspect of identifying that it's, it's okay to go through those waves. And I think a, a natural response is like, I'm just being weak. So I need to double down and be more disciplined which there's truth to that too. And discipline is very important, but a lot of people use training and competing as like their therapy, so to speak. And while it can be a good coping mechanism to take your mind away from other struggles outside of competing, um, one day you're not going to have it one day for whether it's on your terms or your body's terms or someone else's terms, you're not going to have competing anymore. And if that has been your only your only coping mechanism, then you're going to be in real trouble when that's no longer, when you no longer have access to it. Um, And this is a really extreme example, but like if I told somebody, if, if you were training or competing to the point to where it became unhealthy, either mentally or physically, uh, and you're doing more harm than good to your body. And you said, someone said like, you need to stop this hurting you. And you said, well, this is the only thing that brings me happiness. So if I stop doing this, I will no longer be happy. I would reframe that and be like, if I, if you asked me to stop drinking and I said, the only reason, or if I stop drinking, I won't be happy. Everybody would throw up red flags and be like, Oh, you have a fucking problem. (laughs) And so that's probably not the case for most people in regards to competing, but that is how bad it can get. And so I encourage people to talk, to a professional if you have the the ability to and the means to because while you can always you know reach out to a friend and friends are very important but most people aren't um they don't have the ability or capability to actually give you the advice and you know the reassurance that you need um certainly not if it's somebody who's just going to tell you what they think you want to hear and while it's important to have you know, battle buddies or really close friends that you can vent to venting in itself isn't therapy. You need meaningful feedback and sometimes meaningful feedback can hurt your feelings, but if you're not receptive to that and able to listen to it, then you're going to have a bad time. And it may not be the first conversation. It may be in a couple of years from now. Um, and you may already be too deep into it, but one problem, this is really big in the military too. And I think it's probably a problem in the strength community for the same reason of there's a stigma with seeking help, um, especially professional help um, when it comes to mental health, um, because it's like, I'm tough. Like, why would I need somebody else's help? I can deadlift this much weight or I won these titles. And it's like, that doesn't preclude you from, you know, from mental health issues. Um, And I would, as someone who's not technically qualified to give this advice, uh, this is going to be a bit ironic of a statement, but I would be skeptical of anyone who's not a mental health professional giving you actual advice specific to you. This is just general advice telling you you should get help if you need it and don't be embarrassed to get help if you need it. Or as a stepping stone, if you don't have the means, because it can be. But if you're a do it, do it yourself kind of guy and you have to do it yourself and get yourself out of a hole, what would you say to that person? 
I would say that no matter how tough you think you are, no matter what you have done in the past as an individual based solely off your own merit, the human species is not meant to be alone. And so at some point you are going to have to come to terms with that and seeking help from others. It doesn't have to be public. You don't have to make a post about it. You don't have to tell the world how hard your life is. You can keep it close to your close to yourself and the other individual, whether they're a professional or not. And you can work through those feelings because I would say that it is more a sign of strength to demonstrate the fact that you are incapable of doing something yourself and seeking help from the person who can help you with it than it is to keep it inside and, you know, let it fester. Um, but I'm not speaking as I am speaking as someone who has gone through this. This last year has been really rough for me for a lot of reasons that I will not talk about here, but, um, that, I mean, that was me. I was raised the same way. I'm sure most people in the sport were raised of like, you don't need help. Just be tough. Just suck it up. I mean, I've been in the military for almost 10 years the same way there. Like you just suck it up. And that's really easy to do with physical stress and physical pain. But when it comes to mental health, it's not always as easy. And it's really easy to fall to the vices of drugs, alcohol, PEDs, and then just training in general. Um, They can all be extremely detrimental to your psychological health and obviously your physical health. But um, yeah, get help. And your help can include but should not be limited to just someone you know on the internet i like it of course thank you for sharing dan but more importantly is princess leia a disney princess i guess technically now she is but i mean princess leia was created well before disney bought out the franchise so I'm going to stick with no on principle. No, but if you had to, if you had to go and look at it legally, she technically is. So if someone gave you a thousand dollars, you bet one way or the other, where, where you put your thousand dollars? If I had to put money on it, I would say she's a Disney princess because she's a Disney, she's a princess in what is now a Disney franchise. Right. Well, I think that's, I think that's our answer. <laughs> uh, and any, uh, any out events you want to see uh, get mixed into the kind of the current events going forward. So any like old time, any old school stuff that you like to see. So at the Arnold right now, we're seeing um, the stone throw where of course it looks like you almost pick it up all the way to the top and you see how fast you can run towards the line and throw it. So similar to kind of like a shot put or some other track and field event, but is there anything that Dan would like to see back into the mix? I want to see a natural stone. And do you want? And do you want? Do you want to see it, or do you want to do it yourself too? Oh, I want to do it. What, sorry, what I meant by see is I want to see a promoter announce it and then me do it. Um. Yeah. Like the was it Fortissimus in two thousand eight? Still my favorite contest to watch. Where Derek Poundstone lifted the the last stone. But I think like natural stone. Is cool. The Arnold did the the stone to shoulder, the natural stone to shoulder last year. Um, that was really cool to watch. But I think a natural stone load series would be really fun. Interesting. Let's see. What would be pretty challenging for uh we tacky or no tacky? No tacky. Interesting. So what would be like the last stone, like 160 <laughs> kilos, 352? Um I guess it would depend on the height. I think if the height's like 48 inches, it's pretty standard, right? Hmm. 48 inches. The heaviest one for middleweights would probably be like 375, maybe even 400, because depending on the stone, like there's natural stones that are easier to pick than 
But to load, if you have no tacky, you can't. It's it's hard to get that. But it's different because on an Atlas stone, like you don't have anything to grip, so the tacky helps you because there's not like an edge. At least on a natural stone, you usually. And that's why I say it kind of depends on the stone. If we're talking natural stone, as in how the Rogue Invitational does it, where it's basically just like a big concrete Atlas stone. <laughs> I mean, yeah, tacky towel at a minimum, which is what they're allowed to use there. What was but the heaviest one? Like, heaviest like, one? Four four twenty. Yeah. I would say low fours because like the what's the the Husafel, the actual Husafel stone it's 407 because I, I yeah. had that question wrong I went I had I went with uh on Darren's podcast with John world strongest opinions and I got that was my question and I got it wrong but it's 407 I'm pretty sure you're going to Iceland soon aren't you when are you, when are you making a trip uh, we went to Iceland in September oh. um we're going to I actually go to Hawaii the end of January. That was the present I got for our anniversary for Natalie. And then for my getting out of the army present, Natalie is taking me to Scotland and then Manchester in May. Wow. Well, that's going to be awesome. I don't know if we'll get, uh, I want to plan a Iceland trip with some strong men to do some of the manhood stones. But when we went there, it was for my 30th birthday and Nat had planned it for me to do the Husfell stone, but I didn't train for it at all. And the morning of, I woke up and I was like, I don't want to ruin this trip by driving four hours out of the way to potentially fail the Husfell stone. So let's just go to this, uh, this natural spring spa instead. That's not good. Good constellation. Yeah, that sounded more appealing. But but you were touching upon it a little bit. Yeah, tell us a little bit about, about your your future. What does twenty twenty three have in in store, and what are some goals? Oh man, do you want to do you want to share with the viewers? Well, I'm supposed to get out of the army in May. As of now, I just put in an extension till September because right now the plan is to go to school to get my master's in sports psychology, and uh, eventually I would like to get a doctorate in a psychology but uh this is the first step so um one reason i want to do that i don't necessarily have a specific job lined up for it um but given my athletic background and my military background i think with that degree i'll have a lot of options um ideally i want to work with either athletes or uh like special operations soldiers um because all special operations uh, units have a psychologist that works with them um, and generally, not exclusively, but generally a lot of those people, uh, they have all of the credentials, but they don't necessarily have the experience to back it up. And so I'd, I'd like to be in a position where I'm working with people that I, I don't just know psychologically how to deal with what they're going through, but I've lived some part of it and can actually give them real background um, on how the concepts should be applied in their specific position. Um, so that's pretty crazy because the last 12 years of my life have been 100% dedicated to, uh, the army. Um, so it is a little daunting if I'm being honest, making that transition. Um, cause if you had asked me two years ago, I would have told you that I was going to be in the army for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, so that's exciting. Um, slash also nerve wracking and then going back to school in itself, I'll be the old guy in class. So that'll be fun. Um, uh, about strong, any strongman goals you want to share? Um, I really want to deadlift 800 pounds. <laughs> um, so right now, this isn't in stone. There's still some variables that uh, will lead to the ultimate decision of whether I do or don't do them. But as far as competitions, I have Clash and... Uh, then ASM and then OSG. Those are the three I plan on doing right now. Um, I will be at the, as it stands right now, I'll be at the Arnold. I think I'm going to volunteer with Strongman Corps to help uh, James uh, put on the show. Um, so if you're going to be there, I will be around. Um, but I mean, that's really it. If I'm being completely honest and transparent, one goal that I have for Strongman is to also enjoy training again because I have not enjoyed training for a while. Kind of comes and goes. Um, I do it even when I have good like good workouts help. They do make me like it more. But right now, since I'm not in contest prep, uh, 
it's just kind of hit or hit or miss. Physically, I feel pretty good. Um, it's just sometimes I load the bar up and I was like, this isn't even heavy, but I just don't want to do this at all. <laughs> you know, I, I, I feel like when you're not in competition prep and it's dark out and you have to drive to the gym, I, I, I sometimes lack motivation and I'll go, I'll do the, go to the small gym kind of in my condo plex and just to get a workout in. But yeah. I think sometimes it is tough to kind of build that motivation. But again, you just always have those goals in mind, but doing a class OSG ASM, that's a great, that's a great trio. I think last year, um, only three people, including myself, James and Johnny Waz did all three of those this year. I don't think there was anybody that did all three of those, all three of those contests. Um, and you can kind of consider those are kind of like the, the majors, but, um, McKeegan can't because, um, I would say no American, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. McKeegan, McKeegan, McKeegan with that OSG and clash. He did, uh, uh, did he do, was it USL? He did, uh, SCL, he, rather? he did ultimate strongman in Paris. So this is the show that Michael Connor did, um, which was around the same time. As ASM. Yes, and it was like the week after, right? Mm-hmm. So you did you, you did like three major shows, but in terms of the Americans, um, yeah. But we, even he he even he admitted that, that that was a lot. And he he did say in hindsight that that he doesn't know if that was the best decision. Um, I mean that's for him to speak on. You just gotta um, you gotta live and learn. You gotta you gotta roll the dice and see how it goes, but weapon yeah. on the flip side, but if you just went out and won it, then it'd been the best decision. So sometimes <laughs> yeah. uh when you're doing all those co- competitions, you are uh, you are kind of rolling the dice. You are running a fine line in terms of margin of error. So you really have to be well executed. You'd be on top of everything, your recovery, your training, your your health, your sleep in order to really execute and doing well on all those shows. So something that we see from the big guys, the ones that do seven, eight shows a year. So yeah, holy, that's, that's pretty exciting. Um, but those are all my kind of questions for today, Dan. Um, I, I'm going to put all the, all your socials on the bottom. So okay. Dan's on TikTok, Dan's on Instagram. And of course you can also visit um, the U S army team and all. Um, but Dan, to end the show, um, lately, I've been doing one piece of advice. So you gave a lot of wisdom today, but what's one lasting piece of wisdom you want to share to the listeners? Oh, man. I'll do a, yeah, I'll just quote myself from a post that I made right after OSG. Is, uh one day you're not going to have competing anymore. And when you look back, none of your trophies, none of your checks are going to matter. Uh, but what people are going to remember is who you are as a person and your integrity as a person. So at no point in time during your strongman career or any other career you may have, should you compromise your integrity? Um, so make sure you're, you're being a good dude, good gal, and don't lose yourself in the pursuit of trying to find uh, success in whatever worldly thing uh, you are pursuing. Amazing. That is great advice for anybody that's listening. Guys, thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, notification bell. And until next time, everybody, stay strong.